You know, it's interesting uh, for me that certain uh, phrases uh, kind of stick in my mind for my life. It might be someone, something someone spoke to me. It might be something I read. It might also be something that I heard in a movie. Matter of fact, when I was writing this uh, message today about, you know, giving us life, I, I thought of, um, well... <laughs> The movie Young Frankenstein. <laughs> and, and I remember those words of Gene Wilder after he had made that creature and he said, It's alive! It's alive! Now I know that seems like a pretty strange place for me to start this morning. But this morning these texts are about the God who is the giver of life. The God who made us, molded us, shaped us, literally gave each and every one of us life. And I can almost picture, I know the, the, the words in the book of Genesis, that after he had created man, you know, and in his pleasure he said, it was good, very good. But I can also picture him going, it's alive, it's alive, it's alive. And why? Because he loves us. He made you, he made me, he made each and every one of us. Whether we realize it or not, he made us so that he could love us. And his love is unfailing. And his love is unceasing. So we have these uh, words today that remind us that God himself is the giver of life. But have you ever thought about this? The fact is, God has given us life, but not only once, but God has given us life in multiple ways and times. For instance... Yes, he gave us the physical life that we have, but also he has given us the spiritual life we have. That when in the waters of baptism and the work of the Spirit working in us, he leads us to faith. And he gives us that new life, that eternal life through the forgiveness that was won by Jesus for us. But then this week looking at myself and dealing with some of my own very real needs, I realized there were a number of occasions this week he gave me life again. It's when what happens that Paul talks about in the book of Romans about how we are taken with Christ in our baptism into his death and we are raised with him in his resurrection to new life. That when we come face to face with our sin, our failures, our wandering, whatever it is that's part of our life, the places our minds and our thoughts go that they never should be, and there's the Lord saying, come on home, bury the old, arise anew. And the truth is that should be a daily event in each and every one of our lives as we realize our brokenness, and as we celebrate and we rejoice in His mercies new every morning. 
Indeed, our God is the giver of life. You come here this morning because you believe that. You believe that He is your Lord and your Savior. You believe that He suffered, died, and was raised again and has ascended there interceding on your behalf. But why is it then so often that we doubt or we fail to cling to this certainty of the life that He has given us. It's true, isn't it? Many of you probably were um, uh, part of the church in an era of time when uh, um, dialogue evangelism was big or evangelism explosion. You know, the one out of James Kennedy, uh, out of his church, or a Lutheran version. But you know what it was about, right? trying to engage someone in a spiritual conversation to think beyond the moment and their life right here and look to what is to come. And maybe you've used the question, and maybe you've asked someone, you know, if you were to die tonight, would you go to heaven? Now, not many people today are knocking on doors asking these questions, but can I encourage you, by the way, as I go through this section, these are still very valid, useful questions as you live out a relationship with someone. But you know, when I have asked that question, you know, if you die, would you go to heaven? Do you know what the most common answer is I get? I hope so. And by the way, sometimes I ask that question of people who are, you know, Christians that I know, or for that matter, members of the church, and I'm standing beside them maybe in the hospital while they're lying there in a bed, and their answer is, I hope so. I have to tell you personally, that saddens me. Because I stand here today with absolute confidence that knowing all of my baggage and all of my sin and all of my failures, if I were to die driving home today, I know where I'm going. Why is it that we struggle? Well, when I get that answer of, I hope so, that leads to the next question. Let's see where they are. If you were to stand before Jesus, having died, and he were to ask, why should I let you into heaven? You get an assortment of answers, but very often it kind of you know, narrows down to you know, basically this. Well, because I tried. Or because I'm you know, a pretty good person. Or because I went to church regularly, or, you know, because I did this. The truth is, not one of those answers is sufficient. Not one of them is biblical, and not one of those will get us into heaven. We instead have a Lord who has done what we could not do it's never about what we must do. It's always about what He has done. It's always about this gracious, heavenly 
Father who loves us so much that He not only created us to love us, but He loves us for all eternity, and He can't even imagine living in eternity without you. Lee, I just thought of this as I said those words, if you don't mind. Lee is uh, basically our mother, grandmother to our girls, a dear, dear servant of Christ from our first parish in Nashville, Tennessee. And um, Dan, her husband, went to be with the Lord now a number of years ago, but I remember we were living here in the area, and Dan wasn't... um, a follower of Jesus at that point, at least not publicly. He encouraged it always in her life, their children's life. But I remember one day, Dan and I were talking on the phone, and I'm like, Dan, let me ask you this question alone. If God made you out of love, did he not also want to be able to love you for all eternity? He could not imagine being without you. And I remember his words. He said, James, I've never thought of it that way. I need to think on that. And by the way, we celebrated Dan's faith and then his new life not too long after that. What is it that gets in our way of celebrating rejoicing and standing in confidence in the certainty of our faith. So I've been kind of wrestling with this. I mean, the word is very clear to us from our reading, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Certainty. Absoluteness. Confidence. It's mine. It's ours. He's won it for us. Somehow we seem to find ourselves struggling. The Lord's purpose is for those who are His children to know and to believe on the Son and have real biblical assurance of eternity. There's no in-between, by the way. No in-between. Either a person is saved or they're lost. You're not partly saved or partly lost. Either you are one or the other. The only real difference or issue is, do you have the Son? Do you have Jesus? So what keeps us from knowing for sure that we have eternal life? I think it comes down to three things as I have worked through this and kind of wrestled with it even for and in my own life. The first one is we condemn ourselves. We look at ourselves and we realize that you know, we just can't live according to God's commandments and His will. We will fall, and it seems at times we fall time after time, and sometimes with the same sin over and over again. 
And we realize that we are not deserving of God's love. And the conclusion is, is that God will not forgive us because we're not worthy. And so we condemn ourselves. Our hearts, our minds, they continually condemn us because of the things we've done. Even David said in Psalm 51, my sin is ever before me. You know what that's like, right? You remember what you've done. Some of the ones 50 years ago and more. It's a reality. But then Jesus tells us in John chapter 3, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. The truth is, we do not need to condemn ourselves, but instead to rejoice that we are loved and that we are forgiven. Number two, that which gets in the way of us believing in the certainty of our salvation and the life that he has won for us, it's this thing called personal responsibility. You and I, we were kind of raised with that. You do something, you suffer the consequence. If you made a mistake, if you did what you were told not to, who got punished? Me, you know? I mean, I try to blame it on my brother, um, but that only works sometimes. Ultimately, they'd find out the truth, and I would receive the punishment. It's very difficult, I think, for our human minds, as they are, to believe those words where we speak them often in our confession of sin. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins. And we're like, sounds great! But is it really that easy? So we ask ourselves, come on God, what do I need to do? How do I make this up to you? How do, how do we get back right with each other? You ever hurt somebody you loved? And in your guilt, you know, in your carrying the burden of that, you know, offense you did, you go buy flowers, <laughs> you know, maybe even a new car, <laughs> if it was really bad. <laughs> Haven't gotten there yet, by the way. I know she wants a convertible, but, you know, it just doesn't seem to ring true in our minds, does it? Personal responsibility. I appreciate these words from 1 John chapter 2 where he says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. The whole world. We all stand equally before him, condemned by the law that shows us our need and our sin, 
And we also stand equally before him as the righteous one who has atoned for, propitiated for, paid for our sin, all of ours. It's hard to grasp because we know we deserve punishment. But in love, he took our place. The third and the last one is this. We don't have the assurance of our faith and life eternal because we compare ourselves to too many other people. There are people that, in my mind right now, raise up uh, in my thoughts who I'm like, man, what an amazing follower and humble servant of Christ. I've seen them go through earthly hell and they remain so faithful so on course so trusting i see others who are these mighty prayer warriors and people who just absorb the word like a sponge and people whose lives just emulate you know the very presence of christ and the spirit of god and then i look at me and i'm like well i'm nothing like that how could he accept me? I can't live like that. But hear me out. But it's not about what you have done or you should have done. It is only about what he has done. What he's accomplished for each and every one of us. There's no need for us to measure ourselves against anybody else because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God tells us, stop looking at others and just look to the cross because the way that the Lord looks at us as his children and as his followers is through the blood of Jesus Christ. And through that he sees us as righteous, restored, forgiven, holy. My prayer is that today you're revisiting and celebrating what God has done for you. My prayer is that today you're going to celebrate anew the certainty of your life, eternal, one for you through what Jesus did. It's yours by faith. You and I can know indeed for certainty that we have life eternal. How? In his word. Take to heart his word. He said, he who has the son has life. Take to heart the word. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life to the full. Take to heart his word. He who believes shall be saved. Take to heart his word. No one comes to the Father except through me. Take to heart his word. By no other name shall we be saved. But Jesus, he did it all. He gives us life. As I wrote this draft on Friday and then last night spent time reviewing and thinking and editing, 
And then realizing today was Mother's Day. You know, this is, uh, it's a hard day sometimes and uh, to try to incorporate Mother's Day maybe into the message. I visited my father yesterday in Gainesville, and as we were driving through uh, this Gainesville, the city, I saw a billboard at a church in today's messages, the divine feminine of God. No, I have uh, no idea what they're going to preach about. <laughs> Maybe God is a woman. Certainly not how it's written in the masculine, but <laughs> here's what I do know. When I think of my mother, and as I say this, think of your mother, I see how God has used mothers as his very special vessels. They gave us life. <laughs> they brought us into this world. They nurtured us. They provided for us when we could not provide for or defend ourselves. They gave us life again as they brought us into the family of faith through the waters of baptism. I see a lot of parallels. And I am ever thankful for a faithful mother and father whose faith and confidence in their salvation gave them joy and they made sure that we had the same. And now we get to share it. For our God has given us life, physical, spiritual, eternal. Amen.